Thanks, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Thumbs up, thumbs up in the back. All right. Today is a great day. God's been preparing me for this for the last couple of years and maybe even longer. So I'm truly humbled for the opportunity to share how God has worked in, in my life. So before I begin, I want to thank a few people, my family, most of all, for being here, friends. And specifically, I want to recognize my mother. She's here tonight, and it's her birthday, and she's 69 today. Thanks, Mom. I love you. I also want to thank Father Jack, everyone at All Saints, and all who volunteered to help this night, make this night possible. Most of all, thank all of you for coming. I didn't grow up Catholic. I attended a public school. I don't consider myself a scholar. I've never been to a CEW retreat. And up until about 18 months ago, I was really a lukewarm Catholic. My story is simply about a man who was sick and tired of being sick and tired and made a decision to turn to Jesus because everything else I tried had failed. I grew up in Marion, Iowa with two loving parents, an older sister and a twin brother. We were a middle-class family. Dad worked at Rockwell Collins and mom was mostly a homemaker until we were in school. I was baptized and confirmed in the Lutheran Church. As a kid, I don't recall a Sunday we didn't go to church. I remember learning about Jesus and worshiping God. I always believed there was a God, and I believed he knew my heart. My parents said the Our Father with us at bedtime, and we prayed at supper. My childhood was as close to perfect as one might imagine. I always had everything I needed, and most important, I had the love of my family. My parents were ideal role models for what a marriage should be. They also taught me the value of hard work, something that has served me well throughout my life. My parents raised me right. It reminds me of the following scripture. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a boy in the way he should go. Even when he was old, he will not swerve from it. The truth is, I did swerve. And from my teenage years into my mid-twenties, God and church were not a priority. I got drunk the first time at age 13. I was smoking and chewing tobacco at age 14, and I tried marijuana by age 16. Satan had been working hard to lure me with the snares, and he had successfully caught me. Recently, I read the book titled, As a Man Thinketh, by James Allen. The author wrote, decision makes a man strong. The waverer is the weakling. It is a true saying that the man that hesitates is lost. Looking back at my life, I was weak. I went along with the crowd. When there were things I didn't want to do, 
I routinely gave in to peer pressure and did them anyway. Are there things you were doing that you don't really want to do? Do you feel weak? Ask Jesus for help. He will provide the strength you need. Don't let others pressure you into making decisions you know you will regret later. Due to my poor decision-making ability, this period of my life was spent chasing many foolish things. I had no goals. I still worked hard and got good grades and went on to graduate from college, but by no means was I chasing any of my dreams. The vast majority of time was figuring out where the next party was. While in college, I still remember sleeping into the afternoon on Saturday and Sunday at my parents' house because I had such a hangover. My dad would often say, what are you doing? You're wasting your life away. What? Wasting my life? Was he serious? Doesn't he realize this is what young people do? I mean, I was having the time of my life. Plus, it was only beers on the weekends with the guys. Where's the harm in that? My dad was right. I was wasting my life. It's interesting to look back at life and search for the truth. When the measure of truth is God's word instead of your own desires or what other people tell you, you begin to see wrong decisions for what they really are. Sin. So let me say that again. When the measure of truth is God's word instead of your own desires or what other people tell you, you begin to see wrong decisions for what they really are. Sin. Are there decisions you are making that are not pleasing to God? Recently, I heard a minister on the radio describe sin the following way. He said, sin in the human heart does to a person's life what the elements do when it erodes the surface of the earth. It carries with it the best of life. One of the subtle things about sin is the erosive effect is so gradual, so silent, so unseen that finally, when it is evident and seen, it's too late to do anything about it because it's been so long and the years have been so wasted, there's little left. We should be able to predict ourselves the future result, but somehow Satan is so able to camouflage it and blind it, we're never able to get a clear picture. We can get a clear picture of somebody else's life, but not our own. So the erosive process continues. One day you wake up and discover life is over. It's spent, it's gone. And sin absolutely cheated you out of a great life God had so beautifully planned for you. What's the cause of erosion? It's this simple. When a person refuses to believe what God says, 
is when the erosive process begins. Satan had absolutely camouflaged my ability to see drinking as a problem. I told myself, I can handle it, and someday I would change. If ever I had a doubt that God is the giver of grace, he erased that doubt by giving me my beautiful wife, Renee. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds happiness. It is a favor he receives from the Lord. It may be hard to believe, given what I've already shared, but my wife and I met in a bar. In August of 1997, my brother was home from the Marine Corps, and a group of us went out to celebrate. We sat at a table next to the dance floor, and I immediately noticed Renee. I pointed her out to my brother and friends and said, she's mine. For anyone who knows me, this was not something I would typically say. I was a chicken when it came to talking to women. Looking back, I believe it was love at first sight. At first, my brother didn't heed my ownership claim of Renee. We were on the dance floor and I looked over and he was dancing with her. Our eyes locked. He must have remembered what I had said because he nudged her towards me and said, here, dance with my brother. <laughs> Renee is the only girl who I asked for her phone number in a bar. The next day, I called her, went to see her, and soon we began dating. Our relationship over the next couple of years was off and on mainly because of my lack of commitment and choosing friends and partying over her. Sometime in the early part of 1999, we broke up. And that summer, I got picked up for a DUI. This made things complicated. As I was commuting to Iowa City daily for classes at the university, later that summer, Renee and I began seeing each other again. She was just coming out of a relationship and I was truly happy for us to start over. One day, Renee drove to Iowa City and picked me up from school. I still remember her driving as I was rambling about buying a new pack, backpack. Suddenly I looked over and she was crying. I asked her what was wrong. She cried harder. I told her to pull over so we could talk. When we stopped, she looked me in the eye and said, I'm pregnant. I didn't know what to say. Before I could respond, she said, it's not yours. I don't remember the details of what I said, but I remember telling her I would be there to support her. 
Some people supported my decision, while others advised me to get out while I could. I believe God was guiding me to stay with her. Over the next month or so, she talked with people who tried to persuade her to have an abortion or give her baby up for adoption. Praise Jesus that she made the decision to keep our beautiful daughter, Rachel. Renee was a few weeks overdue, so they decided to induce her. After 12 hours of labor, they decided to do a C-section. Renee could choose one person to be in the operating room with her, and she chose me. Even though Rachel is not my biological child, I still thank God every day that I was there. She was so precious, and I was so happy. That night I stayed at the hospital with Renee. I awoke to the nurses in the room and Renee moaning in pain. She was bleeding into her catheter bag and there was a lot of blood. Around 4 a.m. she was rushed into emergency surgery. I called Renee's mother and we both sat in the waiting room in utter disbelief. I retreated to the restroom to be alone and I sobbed uncontrollably. I prayed to God to let her live. I returned to the waiting room with her mom and what seemed like hours, the surgeon came out to talk to us I can't get her to stop bleeding, she said. Her mom and I hugged and cried and another surgeon was called in to assist. We were told if worse came to worse, they might have to do a hysterectomy, but they would do everything they could to avoid that. God must have heard our prayers because they stopped the bleeding and saved her uterus. It was going to be a long recovery, but she was alive. On Christmas Day, 2001, I proposed to Renee. We were married in August of 2002 in this very church. In 2003, I decided to join the church and began the RCAIA program. I joined the church in 2004. That same year, we also celebrated the birth of our second daughter, Mallory Grace. It was one of the proudest days of my life. In 2007, we were blessed again to learn Renee was pregnant. Unfortunately, during a routine exam, there was no heartbeat. The worst thing about it, I wasn't with Renee. She had to call me at work to tell me. When I told my boss what happened, I broke down. I felt like I let my wife down. She was alone 
and I should have been there. In 2008, thanks be to God, we had our third daughter, Olivia Faith. Again, one of the proudest days of my life. For the next four to five years, I was still not being intentional about my faith. We were going to church somewhat frequently. Partying with friends was becoming less frequent, but I was still pushing the limits when we did go out. I would plead with Renee, come on, it's just one more beer. Finally, in July of 2013, I decided to take a stand and get in shape after some encouragement from Renee. Friends of ours introduced us to some nutrition products and we decided to start our own business sharing these products with family and friends. I began running, lifting weights, and our whole family was eating healthy. I was encouraged by our new circle of friends to begin reading. I read books about leadership, faith, and was even setting goals. Within our new circle of friends, I, made a, I met a man named Mike who lived in Arizona. He was a source of encouragement and the timing was perfect. One day, he sent me a text message I'll never forget. Jason, proud to hear how you're becoming the man God has called you to be. What are you saying to those around you? Are you encouraging others to live as God has called them? In October of 2013, I ran my first half marathon with my brother. I was on track with my health and I felt great. I truly felt God was calling me to remove anything that was not adding value in my life. I had quit watching the news I stopped listening to music that had negative messages. I watched different movies. I began listening to Christian music and different Christian speakers on internet and the radio. In early December, I was inspired, I believe, by the Holy Spirit, and I drafted a letter to Renee. Renee, you have been the one who has been the most honest in my life. I have made excuses for myself and not appreciated your honesty. Over the years, the time you have prayed for me to change, God was most likely working in me and I was angry because I didn't want to change that way. So I took it out on you. In the past, I really did want to change but had been going about it the wrong way. I wanted it, but I didn't really do anything about it. I need to let God make the adjustments in my life where he wants to make them. I feel at this time in my life, I need to be immersed in excess positivity so I can come out stronger and changed. With your support and God being on my side, I know I will be successful. I'm in search of peace and there's only one way for me to do it and that's buckle up and enjoy the ride and go for it. I know there will be struggles and bumps in the road, but don't ever forget how much I love you.
how much I cherish you and how much I need you, even though I don't say it or show it often enough. I had things moving in the right direction and it all came to a screeching halt. December 29th of 2013 was the day that I almost lost everything. It was a Sunday night and we were preparing to watch the NFL playoffs. Since I'm a Cowboys fan, they were playing against the Eagles. I was preparing dinner and drinking my favorite IPA beer. By the time we finished eating and began watching the game, I had already had four or five. Soon Renee and I began to argue about something and the fight escalated. She told me to leave and I gladly obliged. This wasn't the first time I'd left the house, whether I was asked to or not. I was good at running away. Many times I'd go to a friend's. Instead of taking a short drive to cool off and return home, I was determined to watch the rest of the football game. I made a decision to go to the bar by myself, something I had never done before. Nothing could have prepared me for what was going to happen that night. I walked in, sat down at the bar, and ordered an IPA beer. I made small talk with the guy next to me who was about my age. Soon an older gentleman sat down next to us. He started sharing the pain of what he had gone through in life due to excessive drinking and drug use. He had lost his family and his home. About five minutes later, a woman came over and struck up a conversation with the old guy, myself, and the younger guy. I guessed her to be in her mid-fifties as I seemed to recall her mentioning grandchildren. She had an interest in the young guy next to me I don't remember much of the conversations, but several minutes later, the two guys got up and left. The woman turned to me and said, what are you doing here? I was perplexed and I don't recall how I responded. She said, are you married? I nodded. Do you have kids? I nodded again. You don't need to be in a place like this. You need to go home to your family. She walked away and went to dance with the two guys I was previously talking with. I was stunned. I remember asking for my bill and walking out the back door, and then that's all I remember. I've heard people talk about angels and how they can direct people to intervene on earth when needed. Do any of you believe in angels?
I woke up the next morning on the couch in the basement. I had the worst hangover ever. I went to the bathroom and when I came out, Renee was standing there. I could see the hurt in her eyes. It was all too familiar. She asked me some questions about where I had been. I told her I had gone to the bar. She walked away disgusted. I think I slept almost the whole day. Late in the afternoon, I was walking by my oldest daughter's room. I noticed her sitting at the foot of her bed and she was crying. I sat down next to her and asked what was wrong. She said, you know. I said I didn't and I asked her to please tell me. She said, everything you did and said when you got home last night. My heart sank. I didn't even remember driving home, but I thought I just came in and passed out on the couch. Come to find out, my wife and kids all saw me as I stumbled in the back door. I was in a complete drunken stupor. I learned I had tried to get a beer from the refrigerator when my wife stopped me. I called their names through a camera and almost tore the door off the dishwasher. I'd never felt so low in my life. Now my habits weren't just affecting my wife, who had built somewhat of a toler tolerance up over time. Now I was showing my kids the absolute worst version of myself. Was this the man God wanted me to be? What was I teaching my kids? Renee and I spoke later that day and she was devastated. She wanted me out and rightfully so. This wasn't the first time that I'd done this. She suggested I get an apartment, but that wasn't an option due to finances. She persisted and said, I need to move in with my brother or my mom. That wasn't going to be an option and I didn't want to leave. I wanted to do whatever it took to make a real change and keep my family together. We agreed I should move downstairs and see if things would improve. She vowed to leave if I ever became that intoxicated again. From that point, I made a pledge to quit drinking altogether. I don't think I've ever felt so much pain and loneliness in my life that day. Then something inside of me prompted me to read the Bible. I believe now it was the Holy Spirit the only time I had read the Bible was a few passages during confirmation and class during RCIA. I made a decision and committed to reading the Bible the first thing when I got up 
and before I went to sleep to see what change, if any, would occur. For the next three days, I found myself crying more than I can remember as I read and reflected on God's word. God spoke directly to my heart and said, I can't keep getting you out of these situations. I knew what he meant. He was speaking to the years of reckless behavior. I needed to step up and be a man for my wife and kids. He had given me so much and I almost lost everything, including my own life. All because of my own personal desires. I begged for his forgiveness and for his help. The following scripture jumped out at me and absolutely brought me to tears. I still carry this verse with me in my wallet. It's Sirach 51, verse 6 through 12. I was at the point of death. My life was nearing the depths of hell. I turned every way, but there was no one to help. I looked for support, but there was none. Then I remembered the mercies of the Lord, his acts of kindness through ages past. For he saves those who take refuge in him and rescues them from every evil. So I raised my voice from the grave. From the gates of hell, I cried for help. I called out, Lord, you are my father, my champion, my savior. Do not abandon me in time of trouble in the midst of storms and dangers. I will always praise your name and remember you in prayer. Then the Lord heard my voice and listened to my appeal. He saved me from every evil and persevered me in time of trouble. For this reason, I thank and praise him. I bless the name of the Lord. God finds us where we are and he truly begins to heal us when we are ready to allow him to intervene and take over. Who of you sitting here tonight needs to let go and beg God to take over? I encourage you to let it go and follow Jesus. He's the great healer. He knows our wants and our needs. Let him help you as he has helped me. I continued to exercise and set a goal to run my first marathon, which I did in April of 2014. Finally, I had set and achieved a goal which once seemed impossible. In June of 2014, I was discerning how to become more involved with the church but I had no idea what to do. I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to reach out to a man named Larry. He was a sponsor of mine during RCIA. I politely ignored the prompt and thought, I'll get around to calling him. Two days later, I was walking into All Saints and met Larry's wife coming out of the church. 
My jaw dropped. I told her briefly about some things I had gone through and got Larry's phone number. I called him and we met for lunch a week later. Larry talked about the All Saints men's group and he also told me about CEO. We had a good lunch and I thanked Larry for meeting with me and told him I'd see him at the next men's group. At our men's group, I met some of the finest men I've ever known in my life. These were real men, men who shared their love for Christ and were only interested in supporting the best version of me. Men's group is also where I met Mike. We spoke one night and he asked if I might be interested in joining CEO to work on marketing. I wasn't completely sure, but agreed to meet Mike and some guy named Pete after noon mass on July 17th of 2014. The gospel reading that day was Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mike and I talked with Pete after Mass, and then we prayed together. I felt the Holy Spirit wash over me and was brought to tears. The reason for the tears was pure joy. I thought back to when I was declaring a major in college. I had chosen art and journalism so I could someday work in the field of marketing. Up until this point in my life, I had never worked in marketing. I felt God was promoting me at that very moment and putting me in charge of marketing, all for his glory. I began attending church regularly and working with the CEO core team. I was attending noon mass at Immaculate Conception. Who knew so many people would take time out of their day to meet and pray over lunch? It took me several more months, but I made a decision to go to confession. It had been several years since the last time I went. I made a commitment to go monthly so I could stay accountable. I decided I wanted to go to the same priest each month so he could understand my hurt and help shepherd me. The thought of doing this was somewhat easier said than done. I won't lie, I was nervous, but I prayed hard and knew Jesus would give me the strength to confess all I had done wrong. Thanks be to God for our priests and the sacrament of confession. Father Jack, as a man, I wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd like to share a few parting thoughts.
Number one, make no mistake. Satan is out to ruin your life. And he doesn't care how long it takes. He just wants to ruin it. Number two, God is not in the tweaking business. He wants to transform your life. Don't wait. Take action. Number three, we are all called to evangelize in our everyday lives. Many people know me who saw the flyer for this talk and were shocked for one reason or another. The best explanation I have for sharing my story is said best by Pope Francis in his book, The Joy of the Gospel. The work of evangelization enriches the mind and the heart. It opens up spiritual horizons. It makes us more and more sensitive to the workings of the Holy Spirit. And it takes us beyond our limited spiritual constructs. We do not live better when we flee, hide, refuse to share, stop giving, and lock ourselves up in comforts. Such a life is nothing less than slow suicide. My life today has changed completely for the better. I don't think the same. I don't talk the same. I don't eat, drink, listen, or watch the same things I used to. I have goals. I care more for others and work to demonstrate that care. I forgive easier, and I ask for forgiveness sooner than later. In the words of Tim McGraw, I ain't as good as I'm gonna get, but I'm better than I used to be. Today marks a significant milestone in my life. Today is my 500th day of sobriety. I lived many years thinking I had the answers, picking and choosing when I wanted God to show up in my life. As I learned, and as we all learn, Jesus Christ is always there, calling us to come to him. Some of you might be saying, nice talk there, Jason, but it doesn't really matter. Why would you say Jesus wants me to come to him? I would simply offer these two verses of scripture that Jesus spoke. John 15, 16. It was not you who chose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go out and bear fruit that will remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. In Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus said, what man among you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them would not leave the 99 in, in the desert and go after the lost one 
until he finds it. I tell you, in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need for repentance. Make no mistakes, my friends. Jesus Christ desires a relationship with you. Don't wait for someone to tell you what to do. Be that person who chooses to turn from your sin. Make a difference for yourself, for your family, and for your community. Thank you all for listening, and may God bless you.